Hey everyone, thank you for listening. The only constant in this world is change. For today's business landscape, this has never been truer. According to a report from McKinsey and Company, 70% of all transformations fail. This stark statistic underlines the challenges businesses face with change management. Navigating these improvements requires a structured approach, a clear vision, and committed leadership to overcoming the daunting odds. In this episode, we are joined by Carrie Bass, founder and CEO of Potential to Reality Consulting, to explore the essentials of change management, popular frameworks, and consider how artificial intelligence and a clear purpose play a pivotal role in successful change. Grab a copy of my new book, Customer Transformation, a seven-stage strategy for customer alignment and business value. This is your essential guide for customer success in the digital age. Learn from industry giants, adapt to your customers' ever-evolving needs, and revolutionize your business strategy to achieve sustainable growth. Available now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or my website. And to support the show, visit chrishood.com slash show. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, follow us on social media, or you can email me directly, show at chrishood.com. I'm Chris Hood, and let's get connected. Connecting. Access granted. It's the Chris Hood Digital Show, where global business and technology leaders meet to discuss strategy, innovation, and digital acceleration. Five, four, three, two, one. Your digital evolution starts now. Here's your host, Chris Hood. How does change happen in your company? Harry, welcome. Would you mind introducing yourself? Thanks, Chris. It's a pleasure to be with you today. I'm Kerry Bass, and I'm the uh, CEO of Potential to Reality Consulting. And we focus a very small boutique practice on being able to help organizations and individuals leading those organizations be able to accomplish successful change. I've been doing this for major corporations and nonprofits and other organizations for most of my working life. So... It's a fun thing for me to do. Awesome. I'm looking forward to this. We were just talking a moment ago, and I mentioned I've been a part of countless organizations that have gone through some level of change. And really, if we think about it, probably every company in the entire world has to go through some level of change. What are some of the principles? What's the foundation that we should start with when we think about change in our businesses? Well, as you mentioned, every organization and people have to go through change because life continues to change, the environment changes, and so we have to uh, be able to adapt to continue to survive. And the question gets to be is how quickly do you have to change? And so uh, there's a number of different frameworks and methodologies that are used to be able to help organizations be able to think in a structured methodology of how to get through that change. One that I've adopted and I've uh, found that that, uh, is pretty uh, useful to have a generalized framework is one created by an organization called ProSci. And their change methodology is called ADCAR, which stands for Awareness, Desire, 
knowledge, ability, and reinforcement. And those are the major elements that uh, every organization and individuals have to go through to be able to go from where they are to successfully being in a new environment and be successful in that new environment. You know, there's a lot of businesses who probably have some sort of change program in their organization. I think there's something interesting when we begin to dissect this in terms of frameworks. One of those things is, why are we changing in the first place? You can't change just for the sake of changing. There's got to be some element to it. So when you break down your framework here, how does the purpose of the change come into it? Well, one of the things that I've customized in my work with organizations is a predecessor to the beginning of that practice. And uh, you've probably heard it of creating a burning platform and that sort of thing. The basic reason that you want to change is because you are looking at the environment of which you are currently in and you see that that will not produce the results that you want to have to be successful in the future. And the immediacy of that change really depends on what are those environments that you have. Sometimes you have to change right away. Uh, because it's a matter of existence. There's a, been an immediate change, immediate environmental change that says that if you don't adapt to that, you will die or go out of business or whatever. There's others that if the leader is doing their role of looking out into the future, they can see we are being successful right now, but I know that the world is going to change and I see where we have an opportunity to be successful in the future. So how do I marshal the resources that I have today and get them prepared to be successful? So we potentially have internal influences that are generating change requirement. We may also have external influence for that change as well. Is one harder than the other? My experience has been that A dramatic external influence, uh, 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 change in the environment, is actually more uh, beneficial to be able to get your organization going because you can see it. Case in point, the pandemic. When the pandemic hit, major operations, the business as usual, came to a immediate stop. And organizations had to figure out how do I do business in a new dramatic way? Because right now, today, I cannot continue in the way that I'm going. Internal things are a bit more difficult because people are resistant to change. And and that's the nature of, of people. We get used to doing things and we get good at it, at the way that it is. And so unless there is an immediate need for me to change, then my mind and my thinking doesn't lend itself for me to be willing to look out to do something different. Why would I do something different if I'm successful with what I'm doing today? Yeah, the adapt or die mentality, as you pointed out, is great when we compare it against the pandemic. It wasn't because we saw it happening. It became, we have to do this. We were forced. And then to your point, the internal side of it, there still seems to be those people in, in an organization that are hesitant for any number of reasons. It's fear. 
comfort. You know, we're, we're scared of change. We don't want to change. We like how things are currently. But what other types of challenges are organizations faced with, whether it's because it's obvious, like we have to do this, or because maybe your internal culture is just not allowing you to be successful in that change? Absolutely. You know, one of the one of the areas that and it's real common and and one of the reasons that this this field of practice actually got one of the most immediate bumps is technology changes. Um, And the the old way of working continued to uh, to be successful somewhat and people were used to it, but the world changed around us. And so therefore, in order order for us to be able to be successful in the new world, we had to get our people, we have to get our people ready to deliver and use new tools and technology that our clients are expecting. One example in a story that had the most dramatic effect on me was working in a uh, state government. I was in the technology organization and helping to get state level organizations and uh, agencies to be able to implement technology successfully in their operations. But one uh, very vital critical agency, and that was the Department of Family and Children's Services, had a vital critical mission, and that is protecting vulnerable children and adults from abuse and neglect. And they were used to dealing this work with social workers in a paper-based environment. But as civilization continues to expand and the speed of change happened, that paper environment was no longer capable of keeping up with the volume and the speed of which uh, things changed with these families that were in need. And so quite literally, children were dying because the information that a caseworker had documented was sitting in a paper folder on someone's desk and not looked at by a specialist that need to get engaged. And so the world demanded that a change be uh, made, not the world, but the, you know, this, the populace of the state, because uh, the, uh, a child dying generates a, a lot of visibility and, and uh, emotion amongst the populace to be able to do something different. And so uh, in order to make that change, we had to be able to keep the, the knowledge and the skills of those people, those practitioners and caseworkers, and be able to leverage that into the new world of technology such that they would accept that technology and then use it in their casework to accomplish the benefit that we had. And so that was the balancing act uh, that that we had to go through. And and being successful at that was so gratifying to me because it literally meant that we were saving lives. Yeah, that's an awesome story. And it goes back to we often are faced with change requirement because of external influence. And we see this across a lot of businesses. Customers are expecting to be able to engage with businesses in certain ways. I often use the example of if you go into a grocery store and the teller says, oh, sorry, we no longer take debit cards. We only take cash. There's a lot of people who would be like, I don't have cash on me. The technology has forced businesses to have to adapt and evolve with the tools and the technologies that we as consumers are using. And oftentimes that does not align 
with what they already have in place internally. To your point, paper versus a data system to store the information. We see that level of technological change happening at a much faster pace than most companies are able to even keep up with. There was an old law in the computer, well, theory in the computer industry called Moore's Law that basically said that computing technology would double in speed and half in price every two years. And so that pretty much was the standard, although now it's even uh, faster because there's some dramatic leaps ahead, particularly with AI and machine learning that has made the the Moore's Law even uh, faster. But uh, the difficulty gets to be then is how do you get your people ready to be able to make that change? I remember in that same example, uh, one of the leaders that uh, I visited, I, I visited all the counties in the state that had the agencies, uh, that their leaders there. And one of a relatively large state that had a fairly large caseload, I talked to the director of that agency and interviewed her to get her, her team and staff ready to use it. And she told me, I understand what you're trying to do. I I get it. But let me show you something. And in her office, she had racks and racks of all of the paper forms that were required to do that job. And she knew them by heart, knew every one, every blank on every one. She was an expert in the old way of doing business. And so we were now asking her to release her expertise and her knowledge and a value uh, to something that she was unfamiliar with, and then, and how do how do I provide value to my team now? And that's what we had to to deal with: is how do we identify the value? And the value was in the leadership and the process, not in the paper. But there's also value in the knowledge. She had the knowledge of all of the paperwork and why it's used and for what purpose and. You've got to be able to try to capture some of that in the evolution, even if you're moving it to technology. AI, you mentioned, can only take us so far. You, you still have to feed it with that logic and that knowledge. And I think back to the fears, people feel like oh, I'm being replaced. Like you can't replace me. I have this knowledge. Yeah. And, and the value is in the expertise that you have. Uh, you know, uh, you can teach a lot of people to fill out a form. But understanding why you have that form and the process of getting results through the system, whether that data is captured on a form or it's already in a database somewhere and the the tool is providing it for you to make an option, you still have to have the expertise of being able to provide the value, like in that case, of how do you protect a child in a dangerous situation? Yeah, AI is a great example here because I think... I alluded to it earlier, you don't change just for the sake of change. And I would argue you don't bring in technology just for the sake of bringing in technology. AI right now is one of these tools that is overly being hyped. And so there's probably a lot of businesses out there that are thinking, oh, we've got to bring in AI. We've got to change all of our processes and put AI in front of it in order to be successful. And again, I, I don't think that's the right approach there still has to be rooted in the process of change a purpose, something that you are trying to achieve. And it can't be just for the sake of, well, this is the new shiny bright object that we have to do. I always go back to, well, are your customers demanding it? 
to your child safety perspective, is there a cause that is going to enable something? If that's the goal, then it should become a little bit easier to sell internally why you're doing the change. One of the examples of the application of AI that I'm pretty positive about is being able to help medical professionals. That still, even though that with electronic medical records and uh, the, the application of information technology, that is still a very labor-intensive uh, back-end process where somebody has to be able to take observations of a, a medical professional and be able to translate that into codes and, and data that can be used for insurance companies and others to be able to manage the payments and that sort of thing. Uh, AI is a fantastic way to enhance the capabilities of those professionals without having to have them tied up in doing lots of paperwork. Um, and so uh, in the medical profession, we have a shortage of knowledgeable and skilled workers. And so that is an opportunity for us to be able to address that dramatic need and allowing a nurse and a doctor and the uh, technician to focus on the patient rather than the payments and the processing of, of uh, paperwork to get the payments. Yeah, I think anything that you can automate and reduce the cycles of and get to the central core challenge or purpose is beneficial. That's what AI is going to help us to do. I think your medical example is is an awesome one. I agree. And I think that those are some areas of, of change that, that we can look at. And society will help that because we have become aware of that, that capability out there. And now we build a desire uh, to say, we want that and we want you to have that. So now those providers have an incentive to be able to adopt that technology. So one of the first change management principles I learned was Kaizen, continuous improvement. And I was working in manufacturing at the time. And the principle is fairly basic. You, you take a process, let's say it's 10 steps. You figure out how you can continuously improve those 10 steps. Maybe you get it down to nine steps. And theoretically, you could go from nine steps to eight steps to seven steps. And even if you get to one step to make that entire process done in, in one step, you should probably be able to find ways to continuously improve that one step as well, right? That's the principle. Now, I could see AI coming in and making recommendations on how to continuously improve processes. You tell AI, here are my 10 steps. What do you recommend is the first thing we remove? And that kind of advisory of change management, I think, could also be very powerful. Absolutely. And, and uh, one of the newer tools and applications of uh, machine learning and, and also AI and other uh, information technology tools is uh, process automation. And uh, one of the tools and one of the things that, that I've done and is uh, continue to do business process reengineering and analysis. And there was an old article, I believe it was in the Harvard Business Review, where it said, staple yourself to an order uh, because there's a quality principle uh, in uh, Kaizen and lean uh, process, uh, process management that says you want to find the constraint. The theory of constraints is that the speed of the process is, is uh, determined 
by the least productive area or step in the process. And so what you're doing is you're looking for where things back up, what they call an inventory, where there's work waiting, a backlog of work. That's where you can take uh, an opportunity to analyze and say, can I reduce that backlog some way? What do I need to do? Is there a step? Well, one example was that when we were automating a uh, healthcare system in one state, we analyzed the process and uh, saw that there was a signature uh, sign-off requirement that was, you know, rating on the supervisor to sign off on this requirement. But in the new technology, all of the information that the the supervisor would have analyzed to say yes, this is is meeting requirements was already done. And so we had to remove that supervisory signature uh, in order for the process to get the full benefit of the automation that was there. And so uh, I I think that is, you're absolutely right. Looking for a way to improve processes and by eliminating the backlogs and making things work more efficiently is a great way to use technology and to look for change and continuous improvement. Now, you touched on a couple of things in here, which I want to dissect because I think the backlog or this is taking too long. I go again back to when I learned about Kaizen. Our model of determining how long something took was a stopwatch. We would literally go from step to step, start the stopwatch, see how long it took. And if it took like five minutes, great. We marked it down. And then we would try to reduce the time for each of those steps. In your example, you paint a picture of somebody signing a document. Now, on the surface, that seems pretty basic. However, there are also times where we get to task where there's an internal bias about the importance of that task. Those are the biases that I think AI can also help us eliminate. Absolutely. And, you know, the the great thing that are the, the real benefit that AI provides is that it uses computer technology to make predictions based on past behavior. So that's risk management. And so what you look at is situations that says when these factors are in place, what's the outcome based on this combination of factors in the past? Well, based on that combination of factors in the past, and I can make a logical prediction that says within a certain amount of confidence, this will be the outcome in the future if I experience the same thing. People do that all the time. And so that's what you are optimizing is what's the risk by eliminating this step? The before and after also comes into account when we think about how successful change management is. What are some of the techniques or processes or KPIs that you look at to determine if the change has actually been successful or not? One of the biggest, uh, and particularly when you're looking at change management in general, the most significant impact or most significant KPI is acceptance and use of the tools or the process. Because uh, as you mentioned early on, most major transformation projects still fail. I think the latest research that I show, at least 75% of transformations and changes in major organizations fail, not because of technology, not because of know-how, but simply because the people refuse to use it. 
And so that's a change management process. And that's an easy one to find out. Are people using the tools? Are they doing something else that they're comfortable with? And why? Is, is it because the tool is not really meeting their needs? Or is it because they don't know how to use the tool? Or they're not comfortable using the tool? I think it's partly all of it. But the comfort, I think, is interesting also because you might see short-term gains but inevitably, I think a lot of people will start to fall back on what they're comfortable with and what they do know. Do you see that often? Do you see a ramp up of adoption? Yeah, we're doing this. And then all of a sudden, it just falls back into the norms. It, it, that is possible. And that's particularly the case if you, um, uh, you know, I'd use the term burning platform. Uh, I think one of the, the change metaphors that a lot of people use is when the explorers left uh, the old world and went to the new world and they landed on the shore, they burned the ships or they used the ships to make something else. So you weren't going back. And so that's one of the things that you have to do to be able to, to help that situation is eliminate the means for people to revert back to the old behaviors. They may not go to the behavior that you want, but if it's not possible to go back to old behaviors, then that helps to make the organization move forward. Do you see any other areas within an organization that makes change difficult? Absolutely. It's uh, an old change management saying that says you have to change the people or you have to change the people. And so that means that uh, you have to get people that are both willing and capable of being successful in the new environment. And so uh, that means that you really need to think through what are the skills and attributes of a successful team member in the, the new environment versus the environment of where you, where you are. And you have to look among those people that you have and say, who is capable and willing to be able to get there? And if they're not, then you have to figure out what to do about that. Um, the, 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 the reason that you, and you want to take care of that sorting out before you go on your major change uh, journey, because it's demoralizing to your organization for somebody to be lost along the way. Uh, for, you know, for a lot of normal reasons, you can't tell the rest of the team why a person has uh, separated from your organization. Uh, but it could be because they started out and they, they thought they wanted to go or they thought they wanted to stay with the organization until they found out where they were really going and they said, no, we can't. Or they don't have the skills or the capability of getting the skills in a, not, in a timely enough fashion that you have to make a difficult choice of saying, this person will not be successful where we're going. And so uh, one of the tools that I've found and I've added to the, the practice that I have is uh, called Predictive Index. And it is a, uh, a AI-enabled uh, old modification. You've probably had a, a, and maybe seen several different uh, work attitudes and personality tools and scores that, uh, you know, that give people a snapshot or a picture of their personality styles or their work styles in various situations. 
And the predictive index had a long history and database of particular types of individuals and also in organizations that are in particular types of, of environments, those that are in constant steady environments, those that are going to change, those that are looking to address certain problems. And that tool allows the, uh, the user to be able to analyze individuals and find out what their personality and attributes uh, are like, uh, and then be able to analyze also the, uh, the attributes of the organization and the attributes that are needed to where the organization wants to go and be able to do a, a guess, a match that says based on past performance and past history, people with these type of skills and attributes are more successful in this type of environment. And that's the type of information that a leader needs to make to sort out the team before you launch into a major change. I think that's fabulous advice. And to your point about people and personalities, it made me think of two more questions for you. The first one is oftentimes we will have somebody come into an organization like yourself to execute some level of change management. And the individuals who are being asked to make the change often don't look at that individual with any form of respect. And that personality conflict during the change management process can often really be a make or break opportunity. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons that I work with leaders making the change. Change Uh, an organization is a leader's responsibility and it really can't be delegated or farmed out. It can be assisted. You can get people like me to come in and give you advice and counsel and be able to help you structure your uh, program and transformation effort. But the leader still has to do the work because the leader is responsible for it. Uh, if, If you bring in somebody from the outside the, the hot shot from the outside and say, I'm going to turn over this change to them and, I, and I'm not going to get involved and I'm going to come back at a milestone checkpoint and find out where they are, then the organizations that are resistant to change quite often, you find that they just simply wait out the consultant or the hot shot from afar uh, because they're, they're not going to change. Or worse, they've seen lots of hot shots come in and say, we're going to fix things. And so this too shall pass. Now, the other side of the personality conversation is I work for a company. Uh, I'm just use me theoretically here. I work for a company. We're going through a change, but I may not personally believe or align with whatever that change is. And I think a lot of organizations worldwide right now are going through some level of philosophical change or or value alignment type of change where employees who may have their own personal belief systems may not align fully with what change is happening. What recommendations do you have for those individuals? I think that, and that's one of the things that I've been uh, uh, looking at more particularly, the great resignation. To me, it's really a great alignment. I think you captured it really well. the pandemic brought to head a lot of, of focus. Many people go to work to earn a paycheck 
uh, and they have the skills and abilities to earn that paycheck. And so that's what they do. And they spend a good bit of time in doing that. And they don't really think about it that much. But when your time becomes more precious, then you get to think about, am I doing things with this time that I really want to do? And I think that's what's, that's what's happening with the realignment of that. Um, the also thing is, is that I think uh, in order to combat that, leaders need to be or address that. Leaders need to be really clear in their own mind and also have a high level of integrity in expressing what this organization is really about. Um, one of the most clarifying, and it was really shocking at the time, I believe it was Shopify, their CEO said, um, you know, you, you hear so often as a cliche, we're a family here. And he's pointing out directly, we are not a family. You're not my family. You're a team member. And that was clear because that meant that that we will, as long as we have a mutually valuable relationship, we'll work together. If you're you do it providing the value that I have and the need that I have, then you can continue to be part of the team. If what I'm delivering in uh, wages and compensation and benefits are meeting your needs and the work is is uh, in a way that that fits into your framework, the bill, you know, the amount of work, the time that it takes, the schedule. Uh, as long as that fits, then we will have a harmonious relationship. Uh, and one of the, the interesting companies that changed that um, uh, is uh, Amazon. If you looked at the way that Amazon changed their perspective, they said, we will adapt the work to meet what your primary objectives are. If you're working to go to school, we'll pay for you to go to school. If you can only work these amount of hours, we'll be flexible about the shifts that we provide. Uh, and so those that flexibility and that alignment allowed them to attract a lot of folks from work that they were doing in other organizations that they were only doing it for the paycheck, working at a restaurant, working at another factory or whatever. And they said, if I'm gonna work hard, I might as well work for Amazon because they are at least trying to meet my needs. Change is scary, but align with what matters to you, I think is an important lesson. One final question before we wrap up. If you had one piece of advice, just one, one thing that any business leader organization should start to do right now to make their next change successful, what would it be? Be clear and purposeful about your integrity. Why do you exist and why do you want people to work with you? If you're not clear about that in your own mind and you don't have the ability to express that clearly and succinctly, you won't be successful in making the change to where you want to go. Excellent. So we're going to have some information on our website to help you get in touch with Carrie if you would like to reach out. And I appreciate your perspective so much. It was a fabulous conversation. Thanks, Chris. I really appreciate it. It's been great talking with you. And of course, thanks to all of you who are listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and leave a review. Your feedback helps us improve and grow. And if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, you can connect with us throughout social media and online at Chris Hood Show. And please share this episode with your friends, family, colleagues, or anyone else looking to grow their business and start their own digital evolution. Until next week, take care 
and stay connected.